growing in God's Word, and learning how to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. A false theological idea that has been peddled on the church by people like Joel Osteen and Joyce Meyer and others. This concept that God just wants nothing but the best for you as we define it. Pain-free, hurt-free, bills paid. And part of the problem that I have with that is that it ends up making God just this spiritual concierge service whose sole responsibility is to, is to make sure that all our wants are met. Suffering is never easy, especially when we're suffering seemingly for nothing we've done. Why would God allow us to suffer? People who have to go through or endure some type of pain, some type of suffering, some type of hardship in their life due to nothing that they have done themselves. Hello and welcome to a New Year's edition of Crosswalk. As we embark on a new year, none of us knows what 2017 holds in store for us, but we can probably all count on the fact that some type of suffering will be in our future. Some type of hurt, some type of pain, some type of disappointment, some type of suffering in our lives today. And so what can we learn from Job about that? As Pastor Clay is going to explain in today's message, it's just part of living in a sin-cursed world. We're in a series entitled Alone, and today Pastor Clay is taking us to the book of Job and exploring the subject of feeling alone in our suffering. Now, here's Pastor Clay with today's message. We really don't know what all 2017 has in front of us. But some people would say what is in front of us, or at least part of what's in front of us, is, is as a result of what's behind us, is what I mean. Most of us are familiar with a uh, philosophical and spiritual uh, belief system known as karma, right? Who's heard of, who's heard of, heard of karma, right? Most people have heard of karma. Karma is a uh, belief system held by uh, popular in Buddhism uh, and Hinduism, both, that uh, basically teaches that what you uh, do in your life, how you act, how you treat people in your life or past lives, because that's part of, of a belief system too, especially particularly with Buddhists, or, or in past lives, that what you do affects your, your future, it affects your present, it affects what, what comes to you, what, uh, what comes around goes around, I think something like that is, is, is a popular idiom in our culture that is based on karma. Treat someone badly and bad things will happen to you. Do good and good will come to you. That's basically the philosophy of uh, karma. What goes around, comes around. Y'all, y'all heard that, right? I mean, y'all are looking at me like, right, you've heard that. It's, it's based on the concept of, of karma. Here's, here's another one, popular in our culture, maybe you've heard of. Karma is a female dog. If you don't get that, I'll let somebody else explain that to you. But it is the belief that what, what I do or how I act that that will come back on me. Steve. <laughs> I, I can see he's just shaking his head. He's, I couldn't tell what was going on. He's like, he, he didn't. 
it's that idea that, and and you know what? I I mentioned that today because that kind of fits well in our world, in, in our culture. We like the idea that, um, that people get what they deserve. There is something about that concept that uh, sits well with our sense of justice. We like the, the idea that, that somebody gets what they deserve in life. Now, I, I, bring, I bring that up because in life... We, we say things like, um, I, I, I hate to see people suffer. Or we say something like, uh, what, the world would just be a better place if there were no suffering. But the truth is, we don't really have a problem with suffering. Does anybody, does anybody lose any sleep over a child molester suffering in prison? Does anybody get upset at the idea that, that, that people like Adolf Hitler or Joseph Stalin or Bashir al-Assad or, or other mass murderers uh, deserve to, to suffer in hell for all of eternity? Does that, does that really? See, we, we don't really have a problem with suffering. What we have a problem with is people suffering that do not deserve to suffer. People, including us, who, who have to go through or endure some type of pain, some type of suffering, some type of hardship in their life due to nothing that they have done themselves. That's what we don't like. That's the kind of suffering that we don't like. Is the idea that someone would have to go through something that, that doesn't really deserve to go through that something in their life. So... We have a problem with suffering, partly because, as I said, we, we just we don't like the idea of somebody that going through something that, that they haven't done anything to cause, they don't deserve to go through that thing. But we also partly don't like it because of a, a false theological idea that has been peddled on the church by people like Joel Osteen and Joyce Myers and others. And I'm sorry if you don't like me saying this, but as a, as a pastor, part of my responsibility is to protect the sheep. So I'm just going to say this to you. And I'm not saying that everything that they teach is wrong. But this, um, this concept that, that, that God's primary purpose is to keep us uh, healthy, wealthy, Pain-free, sick-free, it's just a lie. It's just a lie. And, 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 and too many people have bought into this idea that, that God just, he, he, he just wants nothing but the, the best for you as, as we define it. And you do know how we define it, right? Pain-free, hurt-free, bills paid, uh, new car every year and a half, uh, whatever. You know, right? That's how we're going to define it. And that's how God wants us to be. That's how he wants us to live our life. And so he, he, he wants us, he, he's going to do all of that. And, and part of the problem that I have with that is that it, it ends up making God just this, this spiritual concierge service whose sole responsibility is to, is to make sure that all our wants are met. And, 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 it's, and it's simply not true. 
Case in point, well, I'll come back to some of this, but case in point is a guy by the name of Job. Now, we're, we're barely going to scratch the surface of the book of Job today. We're going to look at the first chapter and talk a little bit about some, some what happens in the second chapter, but, but we're just barely going to get into this. But, but it's, it's going to be enough. It's going to be enough today to hopefully help us uh, grab a hold of a couple of truths, a couple of ideas that we need in our life when we come face to face with pain and hurt and suffering, which almost without question, every single one of us in this room this year will face to some degree, some bigger than others, some greater loss, but almost every person in this room is going to face some type of hurt, some type of pain, some type of disappointment, some type of suffering in our lives today. And so feeling alone in the midst of that suffering, what can we learn from Job about that? I want to start out by reading to you Job chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, and I'm going to give you an, an idea, a truth, and then we're going to read verses 6 through 12. If you have a Bible, you can open it there. If you have an electronic version, hard copy, whatever the case may be. Uh, Job chapter 1, verse 1, alone in suffering. Let's look at this. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. And that man was blameless, upright, fearing God and turning away from evil. Seven sons and three daughters were born to him. His possessions also were 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and very many servants. And that man was the greatest of all the men of the east. His sons used to go and hold a feast in the house of each one on his day, and they would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. And when the days of feasting had completed their cycle, Job would send and consecrate them, rising up early in the morning and offering burnt offerings according to the number of them all the number of them for them all, for Job said, "Perhaps my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts." And thus he did continually. This is Job. This is who he is. He's a righteous man. He's a godly man. He's, he's a man that's wanting to do well by God, and God has done well by him. Here's the first truth, and then we're going to read some more. You have to face the reality of suffering. You and I cannot live in denial. We have to face the reality of suffering in our life in this world. Pick it up in verse 6. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. The Lord said to Satan, From where do you come? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, From roaming about on the earth and walking around on it. The Lord said to Satan, The Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? For there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, fearing God and turning away from evil. Then Satan answered the Lord, does, does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge about him and his house and all that he has on every side? Aren't you protecting him, God? 
You have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. But put forth your hand now and touch all that he has. He will surely curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power. Do not put, is in your power, only do not put forth your hand on him. So Satan departed from the presence of the Lord. Job is one of the good guys, right? I mean, Job's one of the good guys. I mean, he's, he's living for God. He's, he's trying to honor God he, in every way. He's, he is. He's just, he's just one of the good guys. And, and clearly God has blessed Job. Uh, so much so that he is as wealthy as anybody in there. He, he's, he's the Bill Gates of his day. I mean, he, he, he's just, he, he, God has blessed him. And, and, that's, and that's true. And, and, we, and we like that. We like the idea that God blesses people who, who desire to, to seek after him, who desire to honor him, who desire to use their, their resources and their wealth to bring God honor and glory. Uh, we like the idea, I think we would all say, we like the idea that God recognizes that and God rewards people for, for wanting to do that kind of thing. We like it. What we don't like is the fact that it certainly appears that God is the one that started all of this in Job's life. All that's, that we're going to read in just a few minutes. All that comes on to Job, and if you're probably already familiar with the story, it appears that God is the one that started every single bit of this when he brings Job's name up to Satan. Hey, uh, you notice my, my servant Job? And yeah, nobody like that guy. He is, he is righteous. He is upstanding. He lives for me. I'll ask y'all a question. Y'all are all a bunch of theologians here. God is omniscient, right? He knows everything. He knows everything, right? So God knows when he brings Job's name up to Satan, it's going to be like a bull seeing red. He knows it. Because if it's two things that Satan hates, it is a person Honoring God, a man or a woman honoring God, and God honoring a man and woman who a man or woman who are honoring him. He hates those things. God knows what will happen to Job before he ever even brings his name up to Satan. And and we're we're just not sure what to do with that. We're just, right? Let's be honest. We're just not sure how to, what, what we think about that. As a matter of fact, we're pretty sure we don't like that. We're pretty sure we don't like that. Because he, he's God. He's, he's supposed to have our best interests in mind. He, he, he's not supposed to allow stuff like this to happen. Thus saith me. Right? A couple ideas, a couple things that we need to understand about this. This, this reality of suffering, I, I know we 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 all like to think that that this again this this false concept that God is is going to make sure that I'm well taken care of and I, that I'm well fed and that I, uh, uh, that I've got everything I need and, and all that kind of stuff. But you and I have to understand something about God, and that if you like to fill in blanks, it's a blank for you to fill in. 
God still has a priority on the eternal. God still has a priority on the eternal. And I know I say that a lot around here. If you've been with me for more than five minutes, I probably say something about that. That God still has a priority on the eternal. I know I say that a lot. But part of the reason I say that a lot is because we live today in such a consumer-driven culture. Such a consumer-driven society and mindset. I mean, we do. And listen to me. It's not just in the, in the secular, in the, in the non-religious culture around us. It has infected the church. It really has. This idea that what I think or what I want or how I want it to be, that, that, that's, that's how it's supposed to, to be. It's, it's me. It's what, it's what I want. It's what I, however, you know, this, kind of, this idea that somehow that this is what it's supposed to be about. It's supposed to be about me and, and that's what it's supposed to be about and I don't want to hear anything else. The problem with that is, it is that it is the polar opposite of what we are called to do as followers of Jesus Christ. Do I need remind you of our theme verse here at Cross Culture Church? Luke chapter 9, verse 23. Then he said to the crowd, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. This is what so many people do not understand about the concept of being a follower of Christ. You must take up your cross daily. In other words, this idea of, of, of dying to myself, denying myself, and follow me. This is a biblical concept that is taught over and over and over again. Galatians, uh, you know this verse, Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. My old self has been, what's that next word? Crucified. Put to death with Christ. It's no longer I who lives, but Christ lives in me. So he's, he's not saying he physically was put to death. He's saying, I'm, I'm considering myself as dead. I'm, I'm going to live as if my old flesh, my old self is dead. Now, it wants to rear its ugly head from time to time, doesn't it? But Christ is in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It's this concept over and over again of dying to self. One more, Galatians chapter 5, verse 24. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus. Now you have to answer that question for yourself. Right now, in your own mind, answering that question, do I belong to Christ Jesus? And if your answer is yes, now those who belong to Christ Jesus have, what's that next word? Crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. And, and, we, and we live in a world that's constantly telling us, no, it, it's about you. you. You're supposed to get what you want. And as I said, it's infected the, the church where everything is, is, is it's supposed to be the way I want or the, the, the temperature I want or the music I want or, or the whatever. It's, just, it's, 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 this, it's this consumer mindset that has infected us as a result of the sin curse. And if that's not clear enough, let, let, me, let me put it this way. We are not called... To be living consumers. We are called to be giving cadavers. In other words, we are called to give our lives away. To consider ourselves as dead to the world and to the things around us. And to live for Christ and for his purposes for our life. So we have to get over the idea that we are not supposed to suffer. Or we shouldn't have pain. Or we shouldn't struggle through through things in our life. God still has a priority of the eternal in our lives. And there is something about suffering that operates and works and does something in our lives that can never be achieved, apparently, through ease, through, through skating by in life. 
that God has purposes in it. Y'all okay with that? Can you live with that? That's understanding that God's, God's priority is eternal, not necessarily your temporal things. Okay? We just, we just got to understand God's, God's picture, God's vision is bigger. It's bigger than this. It's bigger than just, but right now I'm hurting. Right now I, I don't like going through this. Right now I, I'm, I'm feeling this loss right, right now. And God knows all of that, but God has something bigger, something further in store for us. And so he's trying, this part of the purpose of suffering is God is trying to get us up out of, out of here, out of this, you know, right now, my life and all this stuff, to get us up here and to looking where we should be looking, right? Isn't it, again, it's a scriptural principle that's taught. Colossians chapter 3, verse 2 says, Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on the earth. And I know we struggle, right? C.S. Lewis, uh, in his famous work, The Problem with Pain, says, but pain insists on being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. God's trying to get our attention. I know we want to think, well, God's you know, going to do this for me, he's going to do that for us. God has something bigger in mind. And sometimes God will use suffering in our lives to achieve a purpose that we may not see or understand, but that God has purposes in it. I ran across what I thought was a beautiful quote that kind of speaks to this idea from Elizabeth Kubler-Ross. She said, should you shield the canyons from the windstorms, you would never see the true beauty of their carvings. So God has a priority on the eternal. That's Part of the reality of suffering. Here's another idea to get a hold of. Satan still has an ability to attack. Now, uh, granted, this is, this is a mystery. This, this, to some degree, is a mystery. Because we know that Satan is a defeated foe. We know that his plans and schemes were crushed at the cross. We know that his final destination is the lake of fire in hell. But, in the sovereignty of God, to some degree... Satan is still loose in this world and he is still able to inflict uh, pain and attack. And as long as he is still loose in this world, there will still be pain. There will still be suffering. There will still be hardships in our lives. That is not to say that everything, every hurt, every pain, that is not to say that everything that happens to your life is a direct attack of Satan. Okay, I, I think that's overdone sometimes. If you catch a cold, it's probably not a sneezing spirit. If you lose your job, there's probably not a spirit of unemployment that's come on you. If you stub your toe when you get up in the middle of the night, it's probably not because Satan moved the foot of your bed on you. Okay? So not everything that happens uh, is a direct attack of Satan. But there is no question, based on what we read in Job, that he still has the ability to attack. And when it comes to the story of Job, man, he comes on hard, big time. Let's read it, uh, beginning in verse 13. I'm going to read it from the screen, uh, from the New English Translation. It says, Now the day came when Job's sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house, and a messenger 
uh, came to Job saying, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys were grazing beside them and the Sabaeans swooped down and carried them all away and they killed the servants with the sword and I, only I alone, escaped to tell you. While this one was still speaking, another messenger arrived and said, The fire of God has fallen from heaven and has burned up the sheep and the servants and it has consumed them. And I, only I alone, escaped to tell you. While this one was still speaking, another messenger arrived and said, The Chaldeans formed three bands, made a raid on the camels, carried them all away, and they killed the servants with the sword. And I, only I, escaped to tell you. And while this was still speaking, another messenger arrived and said, Your sons and your daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And suddenly a wind swept across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house. And it fell on the young people and they died. And I, only I alone, escaped to tell you. I I think it is safe to say that Satan is going for the knockout blow with this one. I mean, he is... He, he, he is, and, and if you're familiar with the story, you know that when this doesn't work, he then comes to God and says, well, let me touch his body. Let me inflict pain on his body. And then, then he'll curse you to your face. Okay, maybe, maybe he didn't this, but when I did all this, but if you let me inflict physical pain on his body, then he'll curse you to your face. And we know that God allowed it to happen. Matter of fact, it's so bad, it's so bad that, uh, Job's wife responds in, 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 in chapter 2, I think verse 9, Job's wife responds and says this. Then his wife said to him, are you still holding firmly to your integrity? Curse God and die. In, in other words, are you insane? After all that God has, has let you go through, after all that God has done to you, after all the pain, after all the suffering, after all the loss, you're still going to honor God? You're still going to believe in God, that God's still in control? Why don't you just curse God out and let him strike you dead? Clearly, she has the gift of encouragement. <laughs> but, you know, I was thinking about this. I was thinking about something that I, that, that I, I don't know if I've ever thought about it before. Maybe you have. I don't know that I ever thought about it before. But it was her loss, too. It was her suffering. It was her pain, too. And her reaction, which is the polar opposite of Job's, as we'll see in a moment. But her reaction is exactly what Satan thought that Job's would be. You see, Satan believes, and I'm just going to tell you this, sadly, too often he is right. But Satan believes that what you and I believe about God is based on our condition. Conditional faith. Satan believes if he can rock your world enough, you'll curse God to his face. You'll turn away from it. You'll walk away. You'll give up. And I'm just telling you, sadly, too often he is correct. And, and Job's wife responds exactly the way Satan thinks that she will respond. It's just, just curse God. Why would he let you go through it? Why, why would you do all this? Satan still has the ability to attack We have an enemy who hates us enough to attack us. We have a God who loves us enough to use suffering and pain in our lives to actually work something out that has an eternal value to it. I don't know if I've ever told this before, and I don't mean it for anybody. There's a young lady that I was counseling one time who had been through a 
terrific uh, injustice uh, had been perpetrated on her life. A, a tremendous uh, pain had been inflicted in her life. Uh, she was uh, she was in New York City, and she was uh, uh, accosted one night, attacked, um, and 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 brutally raped um, in a in an alleyway. And as a guy as a guy under the influence of alcohol held a knife to her throat and and physically molested her. And uh, a number of years later, uh, she came into a relationship with Jesus Christ. And, uh, but she still was struggling with this, this, this horrific act that had been inflicted on her. Because, because as she came into this relationship with God, she understood who God was, that he's all-powerful, that he's all-knowing, that, that God knows everything. And so she was struggling with the idea that, why, why would God allow this to happen in my life? Why would God let, let this person do this in my life? So she, she had trusted Christ, she was, she was trying to live for Christ, but emotionally, psychologically, she was still struggling with that issue. And, and, and I know there, there people can struggle with issues like for years. And, and I don't, I'll just be honest with you, the next thing I said to her, before I said it, I, I'm I like, whoa, I don't know if you want to say this. But, but I, I felt impressed of the Spirit of God to say this to her, and so I said something to her that I probably would not say every time, but I, I felt impressed to say this to this young lady. And I, I said, Kathy, that wasn't her name, but I, I, said, I said, Kathy, I want to ask you a question. If you had not been raped, do you think you would have ever come into a relationship with Jesus Christ? And she looked at me with this horrific look on her face. And as she sat there, I watched this thing begin to dawn on her. And in a few moments, she said, no, no. I was, I, was, I was living my life. I was on the fast track. I, and she was in a place of prominence and notoriety. And she was growing in her notoriety. And, 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 and she, she, I was on the fast track to that. And that was my life. And I was consuming me. And that was all I was ever consumed with. And when this happened to my life, it completely knocked me for a loop. And it brought me to a place where eventually I received. She said, no, I, I'd have never received Christ as my Savior if that hadn't happened in my life. And all I'm saying to you is for her... It set her free. That realization that God can take even evil, wicked, terrible things that a, one person chooses to do to another person. God can take those things and can still use them in a way that has eternal good for a person's life. Whether they can see it all or understand it all in that moment. You understand what I'm saying? God's priority is still the eternal. Satan still has the ability to attack. I, I got a quote uh, from Brennan Manning. I don't know who Brennan Manning is. But Brennan said, the dominant characteristic of an authentic spiritual life is the gratitude that flows from trust. Not only for all the gifts that I receive from God, but gratitude for all the suffering. Because in that purifying experience, suffering has often been the shortest path to intimacy with God. It's true. We don't like it, but it's true. Some of you have suffered tremendous hurt and pain, suffering in your life. In the past in the present, and almost certainly in the future. One of the ways that you deal with that is in the realization that, that suffering is a reality of this world. It's just, it's going to be a part, it is a part of this world until, until Christ returns and establishes his kingdom. That, that's how it's going to be. But to remember that God has purposes that are eternal in what happens in our life. And the enemy is real. And we have to be conscious of him. Okay? All right. Now, let's get to Job's response. Let's look at this. 
You have to fall on your face and worship. In the midst of pain, in the midst of suffering, in the midst of hurt, in the midst of heartache, this is a truth that you have to learn and apply to your life. Y'all listening to me? Because it's coming. If you're not in it right now, it's coming this year. It's coming at some point. I'm not wishing any bad. I'm just telling you, it's the world we live in. That's, that's just the truth. In verse uh, 20 of the text, it says, Then Job arose, right after all this happens, all this loss, then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head, and he fell to the ground and worshipped. He said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Through all of this, Job did not sin, nor did he blame God. What an amazing contrast in the response between Job and between Job's wife. Because, it, because Job's wife, right? And, and we could probably identify with this. But she had no problem with God. When the money was flowing in, when everybody was healthy, everything's going right. Uh, she, she, she's all good with God, right? Got no, no problem. And, and that's true of our lives. Man, when things are going great. It's, it's easy to have faith. It's easy to believe. It's, it's, easy to, it's easy to sing, praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above, ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Right? Right? Young people don't even know that song, probably, but... But it's, that's easy. It's easy. It's good. It's flowing in. I got a good job. I'm, I'm paying my bills. The kids are healthy. And Praise God. But here's the question. Here's the question in 2017. Can you, when it's not going as good, when it's not flowing in as well, when, when your pain is so heavy that you feel that you can't even breathe, when your suffering is to a greater degree than, than you even knew existed, can you, in that moment, can you sing, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say. Come on. It is well, it is well with my soul. Can you do it then when it's not as well? Job's response is, it's, it's unbelievable. And yet it's exactly what God would want our response to be in the midst of that. And, and I pray that none of us perhaps experience a day like that. But, but to respond in that way in the midst of it. To fall on our face and worship. Not having all the answers. Not understanding why it's going on. Not understanding why it happened. But to be able to fall down on my face and to say God gives. God takes away. But through every bit of it. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He's worthy to be praised He's worthy to be worshipped. And I don't have to understand everything. And if I did, what act of worship would that even take in my life? I mentioned, or we just sang, the song, uh, It Is Well With My Soul. Uh, And I mentioned this just recently uh, to Dennis and Gail Novak's daughters. Uh, Dennis passed away a few weeks ago and we were preparing for the funeral. And I mentioned this song, which they had Cindy sing at the funeral, but I mentioned this song, It Is Well, in the history, the story behind it as well, which I would venture to say, maybe a few of you know, but I would venture to say most of you do not know what the story is behind the writing of It Is Well with My Soul. Watch this. 
Horatio Spafford was a well-known lawyer and businessman in Chicago in the 1860s, where he lived with his wife Anna and their five children. He had invested heavily in real estate along the shores of Lake Michigan. He was a prosperous man and a devout Christian. However, in 1870, a series of events began to turn Horatio's world upside down. That year, Horatio and Anna's only son died of scarlet fever at the tender age of only four. still grieving the loss of their son, the great Chicago fire broke out and destroyed nearly every one of Horatio's investments. His entire life savings was gone. disasters had taken on his family, Horatio decided to take his wife and four daughters on a holiday to England, where they planned to accompany the famous evangelist D.L. Moody on his next crusade. However, just before they set sail, a last-minute business development forced Horatio to delay. Not wanting to ruin the family holiday, he persuaded his family to go on as planned and he would follow along later. With this decided, Horatio stayed in Chicago while Anna and the girls boarded the French steamship Ville du Havre to set sail for England. But several days later, Horatio received devastating news. The Ville du Havre had been struck by an iron sailing vessel from England. The ship sank in only 12 minutes, claiming the lives of 226 passengers. It was the worst disaster in naval history until the sinking of the HMS Titanic 40 years later. Next day, he received a telegraph from Anna from Wales. It read these six words. Survived alone. What should I do? The Spafford's four daughters were among those who perished. ship out of New York to join his bereaved wife. During his voyage, the captain of the ship called him to the bridge. A careful reckoning has been made, he said, and I believe we are now passing the very place where the Ville du Havre sank. And it was there 
while staring into the watery grave of his beloved daughters, that Horatio pinned the words to the great hymn, It is well with my soul. of that, that's when you find out what your belief in God actually is. And to say, God, I, I, I have nothing left but to worship you. And I, I cannot say this for sure because I've never experienced pain and loss to the depth and to the degree that Horatio, Horatio Spafford did or Job did. But I would venture to say to you that, that Job's worship in that moment, was the most authentic, the most genuine, the most deep that he had ever felt in his entire life. Because it is only when everything else is stripped away and you have nothing left, that's the time when you know that it's only you and God to meet you in that moment. And that's when our worship becomes as genuine as it possibly can be. Not based on what God can give to me or provide for me, although we're certainly grateful that he does, but that in the fact that he is there through every single bit of it. Working something out greater than I can ever understand. The Apostle Paul, I meant to mention this earlier, in Second Corinthians chapter 4 probably says it as well as it can be said. The Apostle Paul said, therefore we do not despair. But even if our physical body is wearing away, our inner person is being renewed day by day for our momentary light suffering. And anyone that knows anything about the life of the Apostle Paul knows that his suffering was anything but light. But from his perspective, and from this God-eternal spiritual perspective, that's what he was seeing in his life. For this momentary light suffering, now watch this, is producing. The suffering is producing... For us, an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison because we are not looking at what can be seen but what cannot be seen. For what, we can, for what can be seen is temporary but what cannot be seen is, say it, eternal. I say this all the time. All of this is destined for dust. And that's the perspective that you and I need to have. Let me close with, with one more quote from Charles Stanley. Charles Stanley said this. He said, Our Heavenly Father understands our disappointment, suffering, pain, fear, and doubt. He is always there to encourage our hearts and help us understand that He's sufficient for all our needs. Now listen to what he says. When I accepted this as an absolute truth in my life. And there's a difference between, yeah, okay, yeah, and it becoming an absolute truth in my life. When I accepted this as an absolute truth in my life, I found that my worrying stopped. And I think Dr. Stanley would add, that a lot of other stuff stopped when he realized that God ultimately was on his throne and no matter what we go through in this life, he's there. We've, we've been doing this series called Alone and we keep coming back to one central concept that I've said over and over again in this series called Alone and it is this, you're not, you're not 
alone, ever, in what you go through. He is there. He will strengthen you. He will encourage you. He will cry with you when, when that's all you can do. He, he, will, he will walk you through a process. And I believe God will bring absolute victory in your life if you can, as Job did. Say, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away, but blessed be the name of the Lord. God, we say to you this morning, that's absolutely what we believe. Uh, we would freely confess, as I've talked about this morning, we, we don't have all the answers. We don't know what is in front of us, what is coming. We don't like some of the things that happen in our life. But God, would you give us the faith that Job had to say, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. May, may you, God, help us to fall on our face and worship you when we come face to face with sufferings, with pain, with hurt, with disappointment, with, with, with whatever all could come into our life. God, there's bound to come some trouble in our life. You are there. We worship you. Facing the reality of suffering is never easy, but it can be especially difficult when we are suffering seemingly for nothing we have done. And for those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ, it can be hard to understand why God would allow us to suffer. Job must have felt that same way. But as Pastor Clay explained in today's message, suffering comes to everybody. God uses suffering in our lives to help shape us and grow us in a way that we couldn't if we hadn't gone through the trial. Job's response to his suffering should be our response to suffering. We may not understand why we go through some things, just as Job didn't understand, but we can trust that God knows what is best for us. His love for us ensures that He is perfecting us. He will use it for good, even if the enemy wanted to use it for harm. The Lord gives, and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. We're glad you joined us for this week's message on Crosswalk. Pastor Clay is the author of the book, I Get It, Discovering How to Really Live in the Promises of God. My prayer is that God would use it to help some people understand a few things about what it really takes to live in the promises of God. God wants you to live a life of peace and purpose and meaning and hope and fulfillment and contentment. He wants you to live a life without fear and without anxiety. Many people at some point in their life feel disconnected with the type of life and faith they read about in the Bible and what their lives look like on a daily basis. What is it that we're missing? What is it that we're not getting. If I'm not really living in the promises of God, why is that? That's what this book explores. I Get It is available online in electronic versions for the Nook and Kindle, as well as paperback from Amazon.com. And ask for it by name at your favorite local bookstore. You can go in bookstores and just say, hey, uh, have you got a book in here uh, entitled I Get It from Clay Stevens? They can order this book out of their catalogs that they get. Get your copy today. Discover the promises of God and the steps you need to take to get it. And join us here each week online for another Crosswalk message. God has invited us to know Him through His Word, the Bible, a perfect record of God's revelation to man and applicable for every area of our lives. And if you're in the Raleigh area, we invite you to be a part of cross-culture worship. We meet at 1030 every Sunday morning at the Leesville Road High School, a mile and a half south of I-540, exit 7. We're a church, but instead of religion, we're about relationships. And instead of rituals, we practice realness. Our desire is to be used by God to show people that a life built on the finished work of Christ on the cross is where they will find what they're searching for. Learn more about us, who we are, what we're about, what we do, and what we believe. Visit us online at crossculturelife.org. I'm not the water, 
A new church for people like you. Cross Culture Church, taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross.